Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Hello, welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast. I'm your host, Frank Giles. This month, we have a great conversation on trunk injection of oxytetracycline. I know for Florida citrus growers, this has probably been one of the biggest things to come down the pike in recent years as a treatment for HLB. And we're beginning to hear some positive uh, signs out in groves and some optimism from growers uh, after using these injections. This month, we have Dr. Michael Rogers, the director of the Citrus Research and Education Center, sit down with Dr. Uta Albrecht, who has done a lot of the research with the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences on trunk injection. So she is probably considered the premier uh, expert in this topic right now. And they really dive deep into um, application timing, uh, best practices for the injection and many other things and, and what they're seeing after this first season of growers actually having the ability to inject their trees with the product and uh, some of the early results they're seeing. So take a deep dive into trunk injection in this episode of All In for Citrus. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Rogers. Welcome. And today we're joined by Dr. Uta Albrecht, an associate professor of horticulture from the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center in Immokalee. And we're going to be talking about um, oxytetracycline injections today. And Dr. Albrecht, this is something you've been working on now for about three years. And um, I know there's a lot of growers very interested in the work you're doing. Um, a lot of growers see this as a tool that will help them survive in at least the short term until we have more long-term solutions developed to HLB. So, um, Uta, welcome today. And um, maybe we'll start off uh, talking a little bit about what you're seeing in the field after, after three years of work um, that you've, you've put in so far. Um, what are you seeing in your research? Yeah, thank you, Michael, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so we have started our research in about 2020. We received a USDA NIFA grant together with some colleagues at our center in, in Immokalee and the center here under the leadership of Dr. Oscar Batuman. And uh, my part as a plant physiologist was to um, just to figure out how drunk injection works. And uh, we started by using oxytetracycline. And um, I did not um, really expect it to work, to be honest. But um, so we started on some field trials um, on fairly young trees at our center. And um, I had an excellent student doing the research. And um, we found some quite remarkable results um, within our first year after just one trunk injection in those trees. We had uh, we had dramatically um, reduced the fruit drop and therefore increased the yield. We also saw a significant um, improvement in fruit quality not only internally in terms of pricks or pound solids, but also and externally the fruit looked um, orange instead of the typical green that we are so used to with HLB and they were also larger depending on the time of injection. And um, we could also see uh, visually that the trees um, looked much healthier. They were um, had a full um, dense canopy and were greener. The flush was more synchronized. So we saw all these different things and it was quite remarkable. I have been working in citrus since before um, 2000, before HLB was discovered, so since before 2005, and this is p probably the most 
striking thing I have seen in, in my citrus career in terms of improvement after just one treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's got a lot of growers excited is, you know, we're at this point in the, in the life of the citrus industry here in Florida where we don't have a lot of time and something that can buy us more time, even in the short term, really uh, captures the in, in, interest or attention of everybody. And so, you know, you mentioned that just after one application the first year, you were seeing those those benefits. And how's, how are things going over the years two and three of this study? Yeah, so we have uh, most of our studies were uh, two-year studies because um, we uh, included in most of our field trials and destructive um, analysis of the tree afterwards to um, look at the internal damage. And um, um, so we have um, some studies going on and where there are over two years and we injected the trees um, multiple times actually. So two holes, um, two times a year. So they were poked quite a lot. And um, these trees you can see from a far distance. They are the ones that are clearly where the rest looks like a graveyard in this grove from um, those other trees that are still um, looking good. But um, the maximum time that we really did injection was for two years at this point. Yeah. Okay. And was that um, uh, two injections in one year or was one year, wait a year and then another injection or? No. So it was either one injection per year or in, in one trial we had um, um, two injections per year for two years or okay. four injections. Okay. And I, I know that um, what growers are able to do really is dictated by the pesticide label. Exactly. And, and so we do have two labeled products out there. Um, and maybe you can, I, I don't remember the names of those right now. You can probably refresh my memory on the names of those, but they're essentially the same product. Yeah, uh, so the first label um, was um, issued in October 2022. And it was for uh, Remedium. And then the second label was approved in January of 2023. It was for a product called um, Rectify. Both are essentially the same. They have the ac an active ingredient of 95% um, oxytetracycline. The label directions are the same. The product needs to be um, um, diluted uh, to the appropriate concentrations with acidified water and uh, muriatic acid is um, what is um, recommended for um, acidification and um, yeah so um, okay and well, we'll come back to some more details or discussion a little bit about how to use these these products based on the work that you've done um, but first I, you know, I want to talk about what you know you've worked with a lot of growers in your field trials as well and so what what do you see growers doing is it working for them are a lot of people doing this now in the field well, yeah, the label was just really approved um, basically at the end of last year, so there was not much time to really do um, intensive studies um, on a commercial scale. Um, so from what I've been hearing that every year, uh, that this year with the label, two labels being approved, that now everybody is starting to inject. So this is really an important year, or maybe more importantly is next year when we are harvesting the trees. So it, it seems like a large uh, proportion of the citrus industry is adopting trunk injection so um hopefully yeah. <laughs> it will be worth well, it hopefully it is worth it and, yes um, and it's really surprising how the growers have made it work because when, when we started on this research it is very labor intensive and labor is of course always an issue in terms of costs and getting the labor and um, it's it's quite remarkable how some of these growers and every Crower has their own little uh, methodology of making it work, but um, some of them are quite in inventive to get the costs down and to just do it. Yeah, I think it's a good point because as researchers, we're always thinking of, we try to be practical in what yeah. we come up with. And so to think that you're going to go out and hand inject individual trees 
didn't seem realistic for mm-hmm. a lot of us. But I think that's where the grower steps in, you know, with their ingenuity. And they'll, if we can give them an answer, they'll make it work somehow. So. Yes, exactly. Uh, when we started out with this research, and I didn't really know much about injection. We, we looked on, online and I was actually very surprised to see there was a large uh, number of injection devices on the market. A lot of them are very labor intensive, so they would not really qualify to even try. And um, some of them are more invasive than others. So, so we, the methodology that we had decided on was um, just uh, very simple and uh, I could see that um, that could potentially work but now with the label there is another methodology um, recommended but um, again like every crower has their own ways of um, of uh, making it work in the end and it's impressive. Now do you see a lot of optimism are growers seeing benefits already or they feel they're seeing benefits? Yeah, I don't. It may be a little bit too early to see benefits of this year's injection, but there are some anecdotal reports that some um, growers have maybe uh, experimented with it on a very small scale, and they have seen some beneficial effects. And um, and as I said, and and I we have done um, many different field studies, and we're seeing consistent improvements. It's not. I mean, there are variabilities from tree to tree, and even within the same tree, but overall, we have always seen improvement of at least 30% um, yield improvement and an additional 10 to 15% or even more in um, fruit quality, um, internal fruit quality or pricks or pound solids, which also equals money for the crower. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned, you know, variability tree to tree. Uh, maybe we can talk about some of the factors that affect the success of that uptake of oxytetracycline when you make the injection. And, and I think the first thing I wanted to ask about, uh, I just recently heard a presentation you gave um, where you injected dye. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe closer up to a branch and it, where you inject and uh, really affects where that material is going to go in the tree and maybe explain some of that. Yes, um, so um, when we started out with our research we um, we started to um, study more the basic plant physiological principles first like transpiration what what um, um, how does the tree what is the best time of the year to inject the best time of the day and um, since the uptake rate is on and the movement of anything that we inject is driven by transpiration so obviously it is important to inject it at the time that's most conducive to transpiration which is when the tree when the trees are metabolically um, active so which will be mostly in spring or in summer when they're actively growing as opposed to in winter when they go into some sort of dormancy and then also um, the time of the day is important like in the morning early morning the tree will not transpire too much yet but later in the morning will probably when the stomata are wide open that is probably the best time for the fastest uptake rate um, whereas later in the day in the evening the stomata close um, so uptake is probably um, uh, slower and then also it depends on the environmental condition if it's sunny and dry it will be moving faster and as opposed to um, cloudy and um, you know um, humid of course we're in florida yeah. it's almost hot always um, hot and humid but um, there are some differences that we experienced and under ideal conditions um, so this is why we did these dye studies uh, we chose a dye that moves very efficiently in a tree so under ideal conditions when we inject the dye so after two to three hours we can very quickly see um, uh, uh, that the dye moves into the leaves and um, and um, so we can see some basically fall foliage with our mm-hmm. pink dye um, right after the injection. Yeah, and I think uh, in the presentation I saw you give, you had injected right below where the branches maybe split off. And I guess if you get too close to one of those branches, you can maybe 
all that partitions out to one section of the tree but not the other and so choice whether it's lower in the scion or the rootstock might actually influence how it moves? Yes, um, so when we started our um, studies, we chose to inject into the scion and the tr um, just because the scion variety is pretty uniform across Florida, mostly it's Valencia orange, whereas the rootstock can be much more variable. And we also um, argued to ourselves that uh, it's better to inject high up in the tree to prevent potential um, soil-borne pathogens to get into the injection holes. So, and it wasn't really a problem because our trunks were fairly large and um, so we got really good results with our scion injection. Of course, the label now recommends to inject into the rootstock and there is um, really, um, from our um, studies that we have done so far, there doesn't seem to be much of a difference in terms of uptake rate. But what these dye studies showed us that is, um, so when we inject something into a trunk, usually the whatever we inject, um, 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 distributes within the trunk in a spiral fashion. Fashion. So, and as it moves up into the trunk, it can then be uniform. Um, enhances the chance of it being uniformly distributed. Um, there are a few tree species that um, show a sectoralized uptake as opposed to a spiralized uptake. So, those will probably not um, uh, take up, um, distribute anything that we inject more uniformly in the tree. However, if we inject high up in the tree, as Dr. Rogers pointed out, um, it does the compound doesn't have much time to diffuse or distribute within the trunk before it reaches the canopy. So we're running that risk that the compound will go mainly in only one half of the tree as opposed to uh, everywhere. So in that respect, um, I've received um, uh, questions from growers very often now, should we inject into the scion and to the rootstock? I guess in that respect, that would be an argument for injecting into the rootstock, not because it is the rootstock, but simply because it's further away from the canopy. So the lower down we inject into the trunk, the more time the oxytetracycline or whatever we inject has time to um, distribute uh, throughout the trunk. Okay. And I think it's also, it also helps answer some of the questions that I've heard from growers. There's been concerns about phytotoxicity, and they're like, well, a question came in and said, what about if we went and injected one of the main scaffolding branches yes. and would it distribute throughout the whole tree? And based on your work, maybe that's not a good idea. Yes, I, I would not recommend that, and at least not in normal-sized trees. Um, um, just because if you only inject into the one side, then you have basically the double dose that this um, size of the tree um, um, receives, and then that may uh, cause some of the from phytotoxicity. I had um, some crowers call or report um, some what we call phytotoxicity manifested as um, like a bronzing of the leaves, or like a brown speckling, or more recently um, what they call banana leaves, like. Um, um, elongated, narrow mm -hmm. leaves, and, and all these things may have been attributed to this, um, that these leaves or parts of the canopy have maybe received a stronger dose of oxytetracycline. But even if we choose um, a spot to inject that most uniformly distributes it, still based on our dye studies, it st still doesn't mean that every leaf or every branch gets it, you know, exactly evenly. So there is, yeah, I think and the goals that's are just randomness of yeah. the nature, yeah. And our goal is just to try to over yeah. reduce the overall titer exactly. in the tree, just so they have a chance yeah. to grow and, and get back to health. Yeah. So, so regarding the, the, um, the comment um, in, uh, injecting to a scaffold branch, I've seen and we have started some studies on older trees, so that question can always came up, so can we, can we, 
um, revive older trees. And mm -hmm. um, if I looked at some of the older trees, we have some trial where the trees are 18 years old. There is unfortunately not much trunk to play with. The yeah. trunk may be only like um, whatever, like eight to ten inches in in height, and um, so we try to inject as much as we could, like somewhere in the middle, to get the scaffold branches best chance to um, get something from whatever we inject. But to revive those big trees with some main scaffold branches, it may actually be beneficial to to split up our oxytetracycline and inject every individual um, scaffold branch. Of course, that's labor intensive mm -hmm. and that may not work for everyone. Now, the method you're using right now, is it just one injection site or are you doing two injection sites on the tree? Yes, when we started out, the methodology that we had chosen was um, like um, spring-loaded syringes that uh, have been used um, a lot in, in forest trees. Of course, forest trees are much thicker in trunk diameter than citrus trees. So they use these syringes, which have a maximum volume of um, 20 milliliter, and they're put like, I don't know, depending on the uh, circumference, maybe 10 or 15 syringes and to split up the dose for mm -hmm. most even distrib distribution. And in our initial studies, uh, we used, um, since citrus is much smaller, we used two of these syringes on opposite sides of the trunk and um, injected, so split the dose up. But of, um, the label now recommends to inject uh, at a larger volume and only into one side of the tree. So with our methodology, we may have a better chance of more uniform distribution, even if we inject higher up into the tree. Whereas when we only do a one-sided injection, we may try to train the injector team to where they maybe pay attention to where exactly on the trunk they're injecting. So. Okay. And as, as future, let's say people have made one trunk injection this spring, and later on they go back and do another one. We'll talk about timing a little bit. Mm -hmm. Does it matter? Do they want to re-inject in a very... A, a spot s close to the first injection site or do you want to try to choose another spot? What, what's your best guess, I guess? I yeah, ask. so I guess the general consensus is to uh, maybe we, we would inject on the opposite side and a little bit higher uh, okay. up in the tree. So I wouldn't inject right next to to the original injection site as there is some, some interior discoloration or damage um, going on and we don't want to increase that, um, you know, risk. Okay. And, and talk a little bit about timing. Um, so we've had a number of folks who have started using oxytetracycline injections for the first time this spring. And, and maybe back up the label, there are restrictions on the time of the year you yes. can do this. Maybe that's important to start with. And uh, so when are those those times of years you can do these injections? Well, it uh, depends on the harvest. Uh, obviously, there is a per label. The restriction is uh, a post-harvest, pre-harvest interval is supposed to be 180 days. So what is that about? Um, six months mm -hmm. and um, so um, if we have an early variety obviously we have to inject really early on in the season pretty much right after harvest if we have valencias we have a little more time but um, i would um, yeah my recommendation if it is possible is to inject them um, in spring when the trees are metabolically active and when the, after the harvest obviously and after the new flush has um, um, been fully expanded because um, again as the process of um, uptake and movement is driven by transpiration we need really leaves to do the transpiration for us so when we inject um, when the trees are small and just flushing it may not be as um, effective as when we have um, f um, fully developed leaves. Okay, so that makes sense because again we're talking spring or summer, yeah. spring yeah. for Hamlin, yeah. after the harvest for Valencia, yeah. and through maybe midsummer. 
then we get to the fall. I mean, once we hit November, December, the trees aren't transpiring much anyway. So, I mean, it's a bad time because of harvest, but yeah. it's also not a good time to inject but because of the physiology of the tree. Yeah, but we had we had done some October injections actually, and um, so we do, we done um, I think it was April versus October, and we saw positive results in in both. So it can work. Uh, another thing to consider though is that um, the the healing of the wounds. Um, so when you inject, obviously it will cause an injury, and and trees don't really heal wounds. They compartmentalize the wounds to prevent decay or other organisms. Um, pathogens from invading and um, making the wound um, well, invading the tree and then it, it, um, necrotizing the tissue so and this process is of course better when the tree is metabolically active which is in spring or, or summer and of course as it, as we head towards um, winter this process is not quite as um, eff effective so we've done some studies and published some paper too um, about that process and it is in fact uh, the wounds take a longer time to close when we inject in the winter and um, as opposed to in the spring so that's something to consider but it does work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are some differences in the timing of injection, you know, whether you inject early or late. Based on the harvest time and the variety. Yeah, and um, when we inject oops, um, earlier in the year, um, we um, have a better chance of the increasing the fruit size when we inject later in the year after the fruit has undergone um, 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 cell division and cell expansion, then um, we may not get that increased fruit size, um, but we may still get that um, um, pricks improvement. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because when we talk mm -hmm. about our recommendations for irrigation and fertilization, the key time is right after bloom for those first few months. That's when all the fruit growth happens. And so we've seen a benefit with nutrition and water, improving fruit size early in the season. So it makes the same sense that, you know, if this is doing something to reduce the stress on the trees in the spring, it, you know, yeah. it would help with the, the fruit size, at least at that point. Yeah, but of course it's it's up to the crower and them, um, whatever we tell as researchers, tell them this is the ideal time to, to inject it. It may not always be possible because of labor issues and, um, and other issues like this year. I think most of the crowers trained the harvesting crew and um, once they are, are gone, then they can't do it anymore. So mm. most of the people probably um, injected early because the labor was available at this time. Okay, yeah, and so, um, when we talk about tree sizes, you've, you've referenced earlier differences uh, in large trees versus small trees. Uh, I guess starting off, how, how small is too small to inject? Yeah, I think the trees that we injected um, in our early studies were maybe uh, two and a half inches in trunk di diameter measured above the craft union. And uh, I don't remember the label accurately, but I think there were up to... The, it recommends to inject um, non-bearing trees too, but um, some of the measurements, um, I would be careful if I were a crower to inject those uh, trees that are smaller than two inches in diameter, especially uh, since the label allows uh, two injections per year for these non-bearing trees um, and the label rate is very low, but still the, uh, the harm done by the injection in those young trees may not be worthwhile for the benefits that we receive. So the, in, 
my opinion and based on on research that happened at our center with my colleague Dr. Alferes, um, the best way to prevent young trees from becoming infected is really with um, putting the individual protective covers on them. Yeah, and so I think I think that's a good point to bring out right now is, you know, this isn't a standalone tool. This is part of this is an additional tool that's going to help buy us time. Um, again, like IPCs for young trees, keeping them protected for the first you know, 30 months or so of life before you pull those off to help get those trees a head start. Things like, you know, having the proper nutrition irrigation program. I mean, if, if we're not feeding and watering our trees, we yeah, don't have anything to try that. to protect. Yeah, that's so. important to remember. So trunk injection does not um, mean we can neglect anything else. So obviously we need, still need to control for the psyllid. However, we may be getting away with the cost um, that a lot of growers experiencing problems, um, yeah, meeting the cost. So um, maybe we can reduce uh, the psyllid um, uh, sprays to the most um, effective times of the year, like during early spring when everything is flushing, and then maybe during the summer when we have a heavy flush, and then of course the dormant sprays. Um, so, but we may get away with um, reduced pesticide applications, um, which is also good for preventing resistance um, building up. And um, yes, so trunk injection is considered basically as an integrated management. It should be integrated in an integrated management program and not just a standalone um, management. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned psyllids. Um, at Citrus Expo this year, Dr. Lucas Delinsky gave a presentation talking about some of the work they're doing on psyllid management, but it also included a study he was doing looking at OTC and the effects it had on psyllid populations. The idea being they thought, well, there's a lot of bacteria that live in the psyllids that are symbionts that help mm -hmm. the psyllids survive. And there was the, I think the initial thought might be that, okay, well, the OTC will kill those bacteria in the psyllids and they'll die. But that's not exactly what he found, but he found something maybe, maybe even more interesting was the fact that uh, when they started looking at the, these psyllid populations coming off trees that were injected with OTC, the, the greening bacteria was at very, very low levels in these psyllids. So it looked like it was actually um, knocking out some of the bacteria, the greening bacteria out of the psyllids. And, uh, you know, a little premature to, to make too many conclusions yeah. on that, but it's one of those things we weren't necessarily Well, it would expecting. make sense, though, yeah. and, and would could argue in theory if every growers inject every tree at the same time, right, yeah. <laughs> and the psyllids are feeding. But um, there are so many psyllids around, you know, we're injecting only once a year, and the oxytetracycline is not going to um, stay in the leaves forever. So uh, I'm sure it can help knock out some of the pathogen load within the psyllids if they feed at the time of injection. Um, but um, of course, we have such a heavy psyllid population. So it's unlikely <laughs> that we get rid of um, all the pathogens in, in our psyllids in Florida. Yeah. And so you mentioned, um, you know, injecting once a year. If a grower injected his trees this year, say in spring of 23, how long before you would recommend they come back and re-inject? Well, yeah, you can, in, per label, you can inject them um, once a year in bearing trees. So you just do the same that you did in one year. So let's say you harvest in March or April, then and then you inject, and then you do the same thing next year. So the label also um, recommends at this time that um, two consecutive, so two injections in two consecutive years, and then leave one year um, non-injected. And um, we have some trials now um, started, um, funded by CRDF. Uh, so really, some grower-specific things that we're investigating, where we kind of alternating the injection, or we're doing two consecutive years, and then we're leaving it out. But obviously, we just started them this mm -hmm. year. And I have 
um, we have one study that we did, I think we injected in 2020, and then we didn't inject the previous years. And um, so the, still, the trees still had um, an after effect, so to speak, even though we didn't inject. Of course, the effect um, will decrease if we mm -hmm. don't continue to inject and we don't do any silo treatment, but uh, it, it can have a, a lasting effect to some extent. Okay. And how long does do the residues last in the leaf material? Oh, yeah. So we have very different results. It's very uh, costly to do these analysis. <laughs> and um, so the one methodology that was actually developed here um, at, this, uh, at the CREC by, by Dr. Kalini, it's a very nice method because it, it's very quick and doesn't take too much time and it's affordable, but it doesn't go into the uh, fine. Um, it only goes to down to one, uh, 0.1 ppm. So. Okay. Um, so, uh, it's not as sensitive, but we have seen some interesting results. Um, obviously, the highest concentration we see is uh, several hours after injection. But again, it depends on the environmental conditions and all that. But we have seen some increases up to a couple of weeks after injection, and then it goes down. Um, we had um, one experiment, and that is something that we should be repeating when we injected in October, actually. We saw resurgent resurgence of the oxytetracycline in spring, which would make sense because that's when the tree flushing. So one might interpret it as the oxytetracycline staying in the trunk, mm. not moving, and then maybe coming up. But again, that's uh, something we have to repeat, and I wouldn't, um, you know, yeah. wouldn't too, be too speculative about this at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of things that yeah. you have probably more questions than answers at this yes, point. Yes, and. Uh, just like I said, what we find in one trial and this particular set of trees may not be the same. So there is a lot of variability, but um, the highest concentrations are usually after injection, you know, after a few hours or up to three days, and then it will usually drop. So. Okay. And then again, um, oxytetracycline is very um, photosensitive and um, um, heat sensitive. So if it, whatever ha hangs in the leaves is likely to be um, ineffective within, you know, several weeks. Okay. But it may still survive in the trunk. Yeah, so when, when growers are thinking about their budgets and how they're going to, how often they're going to do these injections, you know, within the label restrictions, um, obviously cost is a big factor. Um, but what are other things that they might think about, have to think about? What are the other negative uh, downsides from trunk injections doing it too often? Well, um, pathologists always um, fear <laughs> that, and, and that's normal for antibiotics in human medicine too. We mm -hmm. all know that that the risk is for resistance to build up. And um, yes, we will. Um, ideally, we would have other um, compounds, um, other antibacterial um, therapies, and um, in addition to oxytetracycline, so we can alternate to prevent the bacteria from becoming resistant. And uh, then I know in um, in other tree crops, uh, the antibiotics are used in agriculture. Although um, within tree crops, um, um, plant agriculture is just a very very small portion, less than one percent of what's used in livestock production, for example. But um, most of the antibiotics are used in apple and peach production for blossom blight, and um, the, it's by spray application. But it's mainly streptomycin, and and there a lot of resistance has been observed. Um, so where some people try to use oxytetracycline now so so currently there is no reported resistance to oxytetracycline but that may be mainly because streptomycin is the one that mm -hmm. is mainly used so um, I think it's very likely that with frequent use that we may see some resistance yeah. and um, I know a lot of researchers are looking for other therapies 
and uh, that maybe can be combined or should there be um, a label coming up yeah yeah now I definitely know like the CRDF and others are heavily invested in looking for alternative therapies yeah. to Oxytet knowing that we're going to need that rotation of, of products you yeah. know in the short term to help us get through this and one of the things I wanted just to mention uh, real briefly um, we've gotten a number of calls and I'm sure you have too about you know phytotoxicity there have been some issues with phytotox that doesn't in most part the trees I think probably grow out of it and what, what's been your experience either observationally or in your trials yeah so that was interesting when I have in all our studies we have never seen any phytotoxicity and initially with our young trees and it was maybe only a few hundred trees mm -hmm. I said okay we haven't done enough trees but this year we had um, received more funding and we have really big grower trials where we help with with the help of commercial injection crews we injected many many acres and thousands of trees and in none of them have we seen any phytotoxicity okay. so um, but I know it, it has been reported and uh, most of that refers to I guess to this leaf bronzing and based on our um, dye studies uh, to me it seems that it's just a, a visualization of the oxytet recycling the solution when you freshly mix it is a clear yellow but um, as it sits um, at high temperatures it turns into a brown so what this leaf bronzing may just be simply we seeing the oxytet recycling in the leaves but it has also been reported that the um, that the leaves then uh, turn yellow and then can drop but um, those growers that have actually observed um, leaf drop after the injection say the, the flush that is uh, coming out afterwards is supposedly better. And um, other growers, aside from the leaf bronzing, they have observed these, um, what they call the banana leaves, these small, um, thin leaves, or yellow, um, which is kind of similar to, I guess, an herb herbicide um, damage. Uh, my um, I believe that this may be when the growers injected during time of leaf flush, when the leaf is not fully expanded, when you inject it into the young flush, that it may cause this distortion of the leaves. But again, this is something that's probably not permanent, doesn't leave any permanent damage. Right. So. And I saw something very similar 15 years ago. I was working with trunk injections of imidacloprid as an alternative to soil drenches. When we were going through this process of trying to double the rates, we, we did, we doubled the rates of imidacloprid. Uh, but we, for a while, we didn't think we were going to be able to, and we looked at trunk injections as an alternative. And what we did see is when you inject it into those young leaves that haven't expanded, mm -hmm. when they came out, I guess you call them banana leaves, those call them strapping leaves or something, yeah. they come out really long and thin and kind of curved, and it's just a phytotoxic exactly. response. Exactly. That's probably th those leaves have received a lot yeah. of... Yeah. Yeah, and so so yeah, we've received a few calls about phytotox. Mostly what I've what I've heard from growers is that the trees do seem to grow out of it. Um only in one case, I think so far, um has there been a major problem and I think it had mm. to do with either the age of the tree or the dose of mm. the material. And they were very young trees, less than 2 centimeters or 2 inches in diameter. And I, I think they were probably too small to be injected to start with, and yeah. a lot of trees were lost. But that's that's why I was asking questions earlier about what what is the the yeah. minimum size you want to inject? Yeah, we have injected some for experimental purposes some some trees at our center that are maybe two inches, but then we're using our smaller injectors. The diameter, the drill bit is much smaller than those um, currently available injectors. Um, so and we reduce the dose obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so w when we do it in a greenhouse on very small plants, oh yeah, we have killed plants. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Well, there can be too much of a good thing. And so obviously, uh, as far as following the rates that are on the label, um, I guess you would probably recommend, uh, we can't say not to, but don't go above the maximum label rate. But, uh, um, and so you're you're doing rate studies on based on tree size and looking at the label and probably Mm -hmm. making, refining your recommendations or Mm -hmm. suggestions. Yeah, we have some studies going on where we compare the um, half of the label rate with the full label rate and um, different, um, you know, alternating in the year injection. So there's still a lot to come and um, probably more questions to answer too. Yeah. And I think as more and more people are doing this in the field, we'll hear, we'll have more and more questions come to us. Yes. And one that I I saw just recently, um, there were some uh, folks injecting and they were finding that the trees weren't taking up the injection and the liquid was coming back out. Oh. And it turns out, I think we, we identified it was blight. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And so if you're familiar, those are familiar with blight. You know, yeah, that was actually the test. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the yeah, test yeah, is you exactly. inject some yeah. water into the tree. Yeah. If it's not taken mm-hmm. up, then it's got blight. Yeah. And so we got to remember, we have a lot of a lot of trees with blight out there still. Yeah, We're probably thinking true. they're HLB, but yeah. there's a lot of things out there. And so, I mean, we can't afford to run around and test every tree for blight before you inject it. But, no, you will find <laughs> out, I guess, when yeah. you inject it. When yeah. it doesn't yeah. get taken yeah. up, you'll realize so, it's yeah. a blighted tree. So. So, um, anything else you can think of that growers ought to know about right now? I'm trying to think. <laughs> At this point, I can't really think of anything else. Okay. Well, uh, Dr. Albrecht, we thank you for joining us today. Um, I know that your work continues on. There's a lot of questions to be asked yeah. or answered. Um, more will be asked, and uh, we appreciate all the hard work you're doing. And I know we'll continue to hear from you throughout the year at grower events around the state. And uh, maybe this time next year we have you back and for an mm-hmm. update in this format as well. Well, thank you very much, Michael. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.